Welcome to WP Tonic, episode 129. Today we're talking with Chris Handy, CEO and founder of Think Handy, an inbound marketing agency based in Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, before we start, I'd just like to remind everybody, if you get value from this show, do us a favor, subscribe to WP Tonic on iTunes, and if you have a minute, leave us a review. Uh, so, first question for Chris. Uh, what is inbound marketing for those who don't know, and what is, how does that correlate to the sales cycle? Gotcha. Thanks, John. Um, you know, inbound marketing is one of those terms that's thrown around quite a bit, and I'm honestly getting away from it a little bit myself just because it's so murky. You, you have a lot of people who consider it to be well, it's blogging and it's creating content and it's putting out there. And if we create the right content and we position it just for the right persona and we publish it, then it's sort of the field of dreams mentality, right? If we build it, they will come. Uh, and that's not always the case anymore. You know, it, it's not a, a blue ocean out there as far as content marketing goes and, and content on the internet. I mean, if you go do a search for something, there's there's not just going to be a few results out there. There's going to be a million results. And I think when inbound marketing first started, there was a lot more opportunity in a lot of verticals and a lot of industry. And there still is a lot of opportunity, but a lot more opportunity when it first became a, an emergent, uh, really a, a phenomenon than there is now. Um, so inbound marketing has kind of, be, it's become this thing that has expanded its meaning so much that it has just been diluted, right? So what, I, what I'd like people to understand about inbound marketing is really, it's it, to boil it down, the idea is that people buy differently than they used to buy, right? And, and I'm, when, I, when I say when they used to buy, I mean from two years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, things change so rapidly. We forget that 10 years ago, Facebook really wasn't a thing. I mean, it, it, we weren't every day always in Facebook. Grandma wasn't on Facebook. Everybody wasn't engaging in Facebook in the way we do today. Um, though it was, uh, it was out there. It was gaining traction. It was, it, it started in the universities and, and all of that. You know, it was at, it was in the last 10 years when it's really become more of a kind of a, a mainstream thing when, when you or I and, and everybody in our family is, is involved in social media and content creation has become more uh, casual. And so a lot more people are more accustomed to creating content. But I think a lot of businesses and a lot of people in a business context are, are still afraid to put their stuff out there. And it's, it's those businesses that are are taking that fear and setting it aside that are the ones that are being successful with what I think of it as, as proper inbound marketing, which is answering your customers' questions online, you know, pu putting that stuff out there first. Uh, and when I say that, I mean, you know, how much does X, Y, and Z cost? Doesn't have to be your price list, but it could be, you know, how would one come to cost if they're, if they're looking at, at this product or solution? You know, what, what does the customer experience actually look like? rather than just putting up a brochure to represent what your business looks like. It's recognizing that people really want to find case studies and they might 
be willing to exchange their contact information in, in uh, exchange for a downloadable, printable case study that they could walk over and hand their boss. Um, and then valuable teaching and learning type information. Um, the ultimate guide on how to set up a WordPress website, for instance, might be a, a great thing for, for someone in your industry to, to put on their website, right? How, how to switch from Squarespace to, uh, to WordPress when you're looking to take it to the next level. You know, that's the kind of thing that someone who might be looking to work with someone in the WordPress world might, that might be where they are, right? They, they started with Wix or they started with one of these, these platform builders, but now they're thinking, yeah, this thing doesn't really do everything I wanted it to do. It's not quite as extensible. I want a platform that we can really work on and make our own. And I want to learn more about it, but I don't necessarily want to talk to a salesperson right away. So I want to learn, I want to ask these questions, but I don't want to have to ask. And it's, it's answering those questions proactively I guess this is the most long-winded way I can say it. That's what inbound marketing <laughs> is. It's, it's answering those questions proactively so that your buyers are educated enough to do business with you. No, definitely that that's uh, a great answer. Uh, so it's basically, it's filling in all the blanks so people can make an educated buying decision and making them feel competent enough to make that buying decision by answering their questions and educating them without necessarily having to talk to a salesperson. That's right. Uh, the, the CEB, it's the Corporate Executive Board. It's, a, it's kind of a research-based consulting entity. They did a study, and it's a widely cited study that 57% of the buying decision is made before, and this is in B2B, uh, before these buyers ever reach out to a salesperson. Now, they also, in that same study, realized that between 30 and 40% of deals are kind of broken or they fizzle out before they've ever reached out to a salesperson either. So, uh, so what, what that tells us is that we're losing deals before we ever even speak to, a, to any of these prospects. We are losing deals before we ever even know we're a candidate because we're being phased out and uh, eliminated. And they're making all these judgments without ever speaking to a salesperson. So they're, they're kind of, they're boiling us down. They're kind of deciding, okay, these are the two or three that I might talk to. And they've never talked to you, right? And a lot of companies don't get that. They're like, oh no, just get me in front of them. I'll close the deal. That's what all, a lot of these salespeople will say that I, that I speak with VPs of sales that have been in the game for 30, 40 years. And they're very confident in that. And I'm confident that that's true, right? That, that their game is strong, right? You get them in front of them and they can do very well. But the problem is that's not possible anymore. That's not how buyers buy. We're not, I can't get you in front of them the way you want. So we have to ease in. We kind of have to kind of back into this thing. And I know we're going to cover some of that stuff today. You know, how do we, how do we get, how do we get leads or, you know, from, Hey, I've downloaded an ebook to maybe speaking with a salesperson. And what does that gap look like? No, most, most definitely. And I'm glad you mentioned that, you know, one of the things that you're alluding to uh, is, is email marketing and, I think there's a lot of people out there that feel that if they just do 
email blasts and blast people with their message, like that's gonna, uh, you know, get them sales. But I think what you're saying is it takes a little bit longer in that sales cycle uh, for them to ease into being familiar with you. And wh what do you think is one of the biggest areas where people are dropping the ball with email marketing? Well, I know that that I've I certainly don't have it perfect. Um, it's something that you, you can, there's no prescription for any given company. It, it's it's about who is your audience? What are you what are you peddling? Um, if if you're a restaurant. I like to think about this, this because kind of everybody eats, everybody goes out to restaurants and, and you're on a restaurant newsletter. What would I want to get if I, if I was on a restaurant email newsletter? Well, a good restaurant's going to have good food, maybe some, some specials coming through. And by specials, I mean either discount specials or maybe there's a, there's a band playing on the patio or maybe they've got a really cool dish that's only available this week. So maybe tell me about that stuff. Tell me about what you've got coming up. What's the calendar look like? Is it kids night? Is there, is this a really cool day to, to bring somebody out because you've got face painting on, uh, you know, kind of outside your, you've partnered up with, with a local artist to do something really cool, All right? What's happening in and out of your restaurant that would bring me in. That's not just on your menu. That's not just, Hey, we've got 20% off or BOGO buy one, get one free. All right. That's where everybody goes to first. Right. If you look at the law of demand in economics, it's all about, well, if you raise or lower the price, you'll sell more or less. And that's where a lot of these people get stuck. They're like, oh, well, we just run a special and we drive sales. Well, there are other factors that what they forget about the law of demand is that that's all else equal. All other things equal. If you raise or lower the price, you'll sell more or less. What they don't, what they forget is that you can, you can check these other variables like, Hey, what if we, what if we brought in really good blackened tilapia to our long John Silver's restaurant and just had a really good food this week. And this was only available for a limited time. So what, that, would never, that would never happen, Chris. Yeah, probably, <laughs> not, probably not. <laughs> You're living, in bad, you're living in bad season line there, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Wake up, Chris. <laughs> they're, they're cooked, right? You know, Long John Silver's is long gone. Um, <laughs> Take more than that to save them, Chris. <laughs> I know. So, But I'm telling you, there are a lot of restaurants that really do it right. There's a lot of restaurants that really do it wrong. And so I use that example because everybody kind of can put themselves in that place. You're going to unsubscribe from a crappy email newsletter from a, from a restaurant. Now, a restaurant could also say, you know what we're going to do? We're going to open up our kitchen to everyone. And we, let's say it's the, it's the gourmet kitchen. And I'm in Fort Worth, Texas, right? One of the top 10 restaurants in the nation is called Ellerby's Fine Foods. And it's right down the street from my house. I'm just really lucky. I live right down the street from one of the best restaurants in the world. And they actively have published some of their recipes in their email newsletter, which is really cool. And you would think, why would anyone ever do that? They're giving away their secret sauce because 
well, Coca-Cola would never give away their secret ingredients or KFC with their seven spices or whatever it is. Well, sure, right? Go ahead. You try to make it at home. I imagine the experience is going to be a little bit different, but I'll tell you, it gains, it garners trust. Say, hey, look, here's the recipe. You know that they're not going to come in every night, but every time someone attempts to make that recipe, they're going to think about Ellerbee's fine foods and they're going to talk about that. They're going to think about that. And it, it's, it's a sense of transparency in what they do. And it, it builds a relationship with this person on the other end of that email newsletter that you can't do with a buy one, get one free special. So I would, I would ask everyone to think about how can you be more of a teacher in your communication at large, email, blog, whatever, and teach people how to do what you would otherwise think you ought to be charging for in a more general sense, right? Because you, you can't sit down with someone one-on-one -on -one and give them custom consulting for free every day or you'll be out of business. But you, at, at one-to-many, you can do this at scale. And the people who need help will reach out and it's not going to deter them. The ones, there will be freeloaders and that's okay because they weren't ever going to hire you in the first place. And, and that's what it's hard for a lot of people to get past. Hmm. So if you just think about it that way, you are helping the world and you are getting advocates on your side. You're, you start to become a, uh, a trusted authority in your space. People start to share your stuff. And all because you decided to open up a little bit and share some of your secret sauce in your email newsletter or on your blog or whatever it is. And, and that, I think that's the best advice that I could give on, on newsletter, right? You, you just you want to make sure that whatever you're doing is something that you would want to receive and you would continue to get. So like, what have you seen guys? Oh, what I've seen with email newsletters is, is the same thing that you're describing. And, and like what you're talking about is you can give away like the how to of how to do it, but people are still going to go to that restaurant because they want their chefs to prepare it. And at the same time, you're generating trust by being a teacher. Um, and, and, and what have you seen, like Jonathan? Um, I've seen a lot of rushed email <laughs> newsletters just cobbled together and thrown out. And right. um, for understandable reasons, because everything that Chris has said is totally correct. But it also takes planning work strategy and um i just sent out today my, my wp tonic and but we're lucky because we um oh well i'm lucky on that thing is that we've got a lot of content chris because we do a lot of podcasts and the newsletter is about same day a general regional but it's, it's about wordpress chris so i've got a lot of content from the podcast so i share the best podcasts i feature um, the best interview that I think is generally interesting to a more slightly general audience. And then I had some general um, content that I've personally found. So I've, I've, I just use some curated content that I personally have put in, a, put in a folder that during the month I found interesting. And I act as editor and I share that content. And it goes down really well, but it all takes time, Chris. And, yes. but, and the podcasts 
take a lot of time. My co-hosts will um, will agree with that. Uh, um, so it's a time, but you know, you're not going to get anything unless you put the time in, are you, Chris? It takes a commitment, right? You have to commit to your audience that you're going to <laughs> you're going to deliver on this. But I I imagine that when you speak to people you're hearing what they're coming back with and then that fuels the fire uh it fuels your your inspiration for what you go off and even curate uh new content that you create maybe a new article you write or a new guest you bring on the show um it all of this stuff becomes self-sustaining because it it keeps everything going and what what you have built here is sort of a content machine and all these other things fuel each other. And a lot of businesses have that and they don't realize it. They have customer service, they have sales, they have all of these people who are customer facing that are speaking with people, their customers, their prospects every day, they're getting questions, they're, they're speaking and talking and hearing their problems, but they put a couple of people or a dedicated team off in a corner and they call that marketing. And they tell them, you do your work over there and we'll be over here and let's not mix. And that's a big problem because uh, if, if you separate those two functions so much that the marketing department doesn't speak with customers and they don't hear the issues, then none of that feedback and none of those actual customer concerns end up in the marketing and then you end up with jargon-filled websites that don't make any sense. I, I mean, I'm serious, man. I, some of the stuff that I see when, I, when we first get a hold of clients, it's just kind of unbelievable. Uh, and and like, I'm, I'm super guilty of this. Like inbound marketing, really? Like that term really kind of is no fun. It, it doesn't make any sense to most people. In fact, we're, we're working on an entire um, dumbing down of that. And I say dumbing down lovingly because like a lot of people just don't know what that means. And it really doesn't mean anything to a lot of business owners. They, they're, they're looking for more leads, more business in the pipeline. That's what they're trying to understand. And making the connection between content and leads and, and revenue is it's not always apparent. You and I, you and I see that. Uh, and you and I understand how one thing can lead to another down the road and how an investment in the community and stuff like that can work, but it takes them a little bit longer to get it. So I have to change my positioning around that. And so we're doing it too, right? I, I'm the biggest offender and it's harder for me to see it because I'm so stuck in it, but I can see it when I look at other people's stuff. And, and so you have to get outside of your own head and you have to go and you have to talk to sales. You have to go and you have to talk to service. And you have to say, what questions do you get? What's the number one question? Uh, I was at a trade show of one of my clients the other day. And I just stood in the booth with the salespeople. And I, just, I was just kind of there and receiving the people when they walked up. And time and again, their solution was, was kind of what we were there to, to present. And time and again, we would get the same thing. Isn't this just like that other thing? And it isn't like that other thing at all. Uh, it, it, it has nothing to do with that other thing. But the perception, the public perception was that there's this other free solution that is a complete and, and utter replacement for it. And so this is an unnecessary solution in the marketplace. And so what I realized walking away from that trade show is, oh boy, they have a positioning problem. And we have to tackle that first. 
how is this different from that other thing? And we hadn't addressed that at all. But it, it, sometimes it takes getting outside of your own space to, to hear that. And that objection is not something that came down from the CEO. It's not something that came down from someone in a strategic boardroom. It came from the fields. It came from the customers. And so that's what you have to look at. And that, that's the kind of thing that goes into a, an email newsletter or like lead nurturing, right? Think about what an email subject line could be if someone like downloads an ebook or something. Isn't this just like that other thing? That's the subject line. They're going to be like, wait a minute. Why would they want to push me down this, this funnel when that's clearly against their, uh, against the, their best judgment? And then you go and you explain. Well, you know, a lot of people come to us specifically at trade shows and they mistake our solution for this solution over here. That's a common misconception. So in this, in this post on our, on our website, we'll, we'll show you the differences in the, the business challenges that our solution overcomes that this other thing doesn't. And, and I think that's all it takes. So just like human language to describe that objection. And that's what I see most is a, is a problem in, in email is not using human language. Hey, you might be thinking this. I understand because I used to think that myself. In fact, I thought so until I discovered X, Y, and Z. When I found that, now I'm transformed and, and here's what I've found. Here's the story of that. Go check it out on the website. Like that's the best lead nurturing email of all time because it's, it's one paragraph. It's short. It, it clicks over to the website. I can click it on my phone. Um, there's, there's no fuss in plain text with a link. Like so many companies are sitting here trying to design these, these wonderfully beautiful print ads, but they're not very suited for, for an email that someone might click through on their phone. So you have to consider the user. Like that's my biggest takeaway, man. I mean, you guys, the, the, the user is the, is the ultimate, the user, the reader, the customer, the prospect. Got to think about them first. I love how you put that because you're, you, you're determining like what content and what marketing you're doing based specifically on the questions that you're getting from your prospects and your customers mm-hmm. already. And you're tailoring your content and your marketing specifically to those questions and creating like assets that are going to attract more of the same people. Uh, here's a question. Uh, why do you think people rush uh, to, to get to, to close the sale? And, and what are they underestimating about the length of the sales cycle? So why do we rush to close a sale when it comes to marketing and nurturing kind of an email and things like that? Or why does a salesperson do that? Yes. Why do the salespeople do that? Hmm. Well, well actually, uh, Chris, before you uh, give us more enlightenment, I think we should go for our break, Chris, yeah. and give you a couple, a, a couple seconds to consider your, insightful answer to that I'm question afraid. actually chris so we'll, we'll be uh, coming back okay. in a, in a few minutes shall shall we john we shall right we'll be back in a little while folks but wait for chris's replies i'm sure it's going to be insightful 
Buying or selling a home in the greater Reno Tahoe area? I know the best CRS real estate broker, and that's Karen Conrad. And you can find her at karenconrad.com or call directly at 775-527-7021. We're coming back. Um, we're waiting for Chris' insightful answer to John's question. Go on then, Chris. Give us the light. Gotcha. Uh, yeah, I think um, a lot of sales folks, they don't have a great alternative. They may, they may be really pressured by, by their quota, by, um, if it's a business owner, they may have a lot of pressure by uh, the need to make their rent, to pay their employees, to pay themselves. And this is why you get the sense of desperation from a lot of salespeople. And I think this can be translated all the way down to email and things like that and why people rush through and turn people off. But there's a clear correlation to um, the playing hard to get phenomenon in boy-girl relationships or just like romantic relationships. I'm not boy-girl exclusive, you know, whatever your thing, that's fine. But um, it, I think it's all about if you don't need it, then it don't matter. You, you've got more prospects in the pipeline. You've got better alternatives. You don't need to make big concessions. You're not going to make bad choices. You're not going to make uh, a choice when it comes to uh, really doing business with someone at a, at a rate that doesn't help your business. Um, I, think, I think we find ourselves pressured sometimes to, I know I've been in that situation before where it's, you're thinking, man, are, are we going to make it? <laughs> and then you get, you get somebody in the pipe and they may not be the best fit, but boy, they're here and they're ready with the checkbook and it's just, you're going to close it. And then the flip side of that is that some people might, might push too hard to close someone that's not a good fit. Um, so it, I, I think with salespeople, we have a, I'm a sales guy, right? I'm a business owner. So I'm a sales guy. Um, and I work with a lot of sales teams we have an obligation to do the right thing by matching up people who are right for whatever we're selling. And if we're, if they're not right for whatever we're selling, if we don't believe they'll be successful with whatever we're selling, then we shouldn't be, shouldn't be giving it to them because we may get a short term gain, but in the long run, it's going to hurt both of us. They're not going to have gotten their, return that they were looking for they will feel taken advantage of in some way um or you might have lowered your your rate and you'll feel taken advantage of and you might not give them the same level of service at some point that you should have or it'll just be a suck on your business you won't be able to grow your business the same way that you would have been had you been able to allot the time and and everything necessary to growing the business so a lot of downsides to taking the wrong fit client and wrong fit client could be they just don't have enough money to pay you the rate you need. So we make poor decisions. Some of those decisions lead to rushing the sale. And I don't think that we should just 
just go over paint and everything like that. Sometimes it's it's take a decision early. Right? Yeah. I, I'm I'm all for being in control as a salesperson, but you lead them down a certain path. You don't push them down a path, but you show them the way. If they're not willing to participate in that process or they, if they're stringing you along, then it's your obligation to get out because you're letting yourself be taken advantage of or um, some people honestly just like to talk to salespeople. They spend a lot of time <laughs> talking to salespeople and I don't know why, but they do. Uh, you, you probably know these people. You've met them. And they just, I don't know. I guess they just, it's better than pushing paperwork. And um, it's just, they're never going to do business with you, but they'll talk all day about it. They'll talk all day about how, how, how at some point they will. And it's your job to understand who those people are and look for those cues and things like that and give them an opportunity to move forward. And if they're not going to, that's fine. You move on. You tell them where, you, where to find you in the future, but you say, look, you know what? It sounds like we're probably just not the right fit. You know, I can give you the number, name and number of a few people who I think might be a good fit. If in the future you want to you wanna go, you just send me an email with your credit card number and we'll get started. Like that's, I've kind of done that before where it's like, hey, look, man, it's, it's put up or shut up time at this point. Like we've done all the things we're going to do. You have everything we, you could possibly ever need to make the decision. And one more minute, is costing me one more minute with somebody else who's, who could be a prospect for me. So I, you know, I, I think we have to be selfish, but we have to be understanding of their journey that they need to go through as long as it fits with, with who, who we are. And their decision-making process may be longer than some, than, than some that we're used to. So we have to understand where they are. Did they just figure out that your solution is a thing okay, that's going to take them a little bit longer to come on. So your job is not to close the deal. Your job is just to take them to the next step and let them sit on there for a while. And you have to just, it's, it's rungs of a ladder. It's, um, it's just taking them down the path and getting them a little bit closer. And that may not be scheduling call after call after call after call. It's like, hey, you know, I'll tell you what, it sounds like you just discovered this. Let me give you a, let me send you an article to read about this. And there's all kinds of tools that we can use to understand whether or not they read that article. If they read it, then maybe we do something else. If they're not going to even take the time to read it, then should we really spend time following up? Probably not. Yeah, it's great. That's great, Chris. Um, it's a shame that Wells Fargo, you wasn't consulting Wells Fargo. Would it? <laughs> yeah, I, I've got all my bank accounts there. I, I'm... If, if I get a minute, then uh, I honestly, I kind of want to pull everything, you know? Do you really want to do business with a bank that oversells you accounts, if right and center, Chris? It, it, it is just, we, we, have a, we have an LLC, and then we got a DBA, and then they made us open a second account for the DBA. And then you go and you, we talk to a couple other bankers, and this, that's crazy. You can, do, you can have one account for a DBA and an LLC. Um, but... At Wells Fargo, they want you to have two accounts. So we weren't in the area where they were doing all of those accounts, but they, they did have incentives based on the number of accounts. And so now I know why they have given me so much trouble at the teller when we drop off checks. And, um, and so, yeah, it's frustrating. And 
Um, it's these, I'm, I'm not against quotas. And I think that, I think that their reaction of saying, okay, our solution is no more sales quotas at Wells Fargo is ridiculous because yeah. that's like, obviously that'll, that'll have to come back at some point. So that's not a long-term solution. They should have some kind of a goal related to like how they attain their business or they'll just have hourly employees sitting there. I don't know. Like you got to have some metric that you're tied to. I don't know what it is that they think is going to happen. Um, it's PR. They're delaying the PR. Uh, they're, they, they ought to just rip it off like a band and say, yep, we messed up. But I, I don't understand how they're going to tackle that. You get, sales goals are good. Sales goals are good. Uh, but understanding how the, how the sales metric makes people act, that's the responsibility of the organization. And Wells Fargo really made a mistake there. They didn't understand how the metric made people act. Sometimes... Well, I think yeah. if uh, I don't want to go too far off topic, yeah. and um, but I, I, I um, just to end this, I brought it up. I apologise, Chris. No, I, just, that's fine. I just, but I think in a way it's very linked to what you were saying. Um, I don't think it was a mistake at all, Chris. I, I think it um, was a, a very calculated um, policy that um, enriched. Um, a certain group of individuals highly so um, it wasn't a mistake so maybe that's why um, we all make mistakes Chris because we're all human Um, um, but that's why I suggest that maybe a lot of people should consider moving their account because I don't think it was a mistake at at all so that's me off my high horse folks Um, (laughs) so um, so Let's go on to optimization. You know, obviously, um, recently, um, Drip got sold to Lead Pages. Um, I was delighted for them. You know, um, I know it was a considerable a lot of hard work that they put into that product. Um, the team behind it were very transparent through the podcasts, their posts about the journey that they took. So. Um, Got any insights why you feel that um, Lead Pages bought Drip? And what's your feelings about this whole optimization um, funnel? Um, you know, it's seen as the kind of holy grail, isn't it, Chris? I'm, I'm a, uh, I think it's really important, but I also link it to your previous insightful remarks. Is it a little bit? everybody thinks that optimization will be the kind of holy grail and they're deluding themselves a little bit. So that was, there was a lot in that question, would it Chris? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I follow you though. Um, so I, I pay attention to marketing automation and, and all of this. And um, a lot of what, what we do is help people create automation, email workflows, do something happens and then this triggers X, Y, and Z, you get a series of emails or, or triggered notifications. So drip does that very well. And it was kind of a product that did one thing. Well, uh, it did the, the email, email drip sequences really, really well. And it integrates with a lot of products. So I had, I had used it in one case with one client that had a pre-existing installation, I believe of that. Um, so yeah, very good product. And then I go look and I look at lead pages, a very, I mean, they have a lot of integrations as well, right? So 
they've got a lot of plugins. And, uh, and I, think this, I think the spirit of both of those companies was their APIs, right? They've got plugins with all these other things. They'll work with your existing tools. So I look at this as a move, a very strategic move by lead pages of having more of the market share of these. I don't know whether or not they're going to really try and tie these two tools together. I've already seen that some people are saying they should be more integrated as a tool, uh, like already. It hasn't been that long. Uh, I mean, you get, these are two separately developed products. They're, they're obviously not going to just plug directly in, but I know it seems to be at this point that lead pages is sort of making a play for more of the, Hey, we want to own more of this space. We do a lot of work with HubSpot. HubSpot has a sort of an end to end platform. There's a lot of tools within their platform that are not best of breed, but what is nice about it is that it has all of them right? It's got, it may not have the best landing page tool of all time, but it's got it. And the leads that are, that are generated on those landing pages go directly into the CRM and all the automation and all of that stuff. Right. So I think that that's probably the lead they're following, um, is, is to try and just own more of that sequence because you can see these things kind of get eaten up, right? You got your sales forces, sales forces make a big enterprise play on that lead pages and, uh, and drips probably trying to kind of come in maybe behind HubSpot, maybe in the more, uh, very small business market, the, the, the small business market, a little bit below where HubSpot is as far as the, the level of spend people are expecting to pay. So I, I think it's a really smart move. Yeah, I think uh, I think that was a fantastic answer, Chris. I think it's always the ongoing. There is no answer, but it's ongoing. I won't say problem, but um, I'm trying to find the right word, Chris. You know, from you know, do you integrate everything? You put like throw in the kitchen sink. You know, you cover everything, but it's not the leader in anything. Or do you really specialize and be in that niche area be the top quality product but everybody but there's a lot of people that want everything in one package and there is no answer to that is there chris because yep. it's ongoing it's got some good points and it's got some bad points either side haven't they yeah it really just depends on what you're trying to accomplish uh one of the reasons we really 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 like hubspot for some clients um and i like I use it, but I use a bunch of these other tools too on top of it is, uh, is that I can look at the original touch and of, of where, where did this person come from on the website? And I can tie it back because it's got the CRM integrated. I can tie it back to the dollar they spent. So it's, it's really just the cookie that it drops in the IP tracking. So if they came from a tweet that I sent out last year and they first came in on this one blog post and then they bought from me this year, I can tie that revenue back. And like, to me, that's the biggest value they offer. So if they just did that, I'd still buy it. And so like, I think there's an opportunity for a company to come in with just a solution like that, that eliminated all the other stuff that just plugged in. And I don't see one. No, um, it's certainly a very, you know, when it comes to email marketing, um, there's certainly no lack of choice, you know. You, you know, but I still get pe. You now you've got active campaign, campaign monitor, um, um, 
iWeber. Um, there's just there's a lot of them in there. Benchmark. Um, is probably the biggest biggest. But everybody t- the game. Yeah, but everybody says Mailchimp, don't they? Um, yep. Um, got any insights? Why? So you know, when I talk, you know, I I've, I I do use Mailchimp um, up for certain things because it integrated with something where my I'm normally I'm a campaign monitor guy but I do use MailChimp because um, it integrates with some other things very linked to what you just said previous but I've, I've had a lot of people say to me well why do you bother with all these rests you know just use Mail, um, MailChimp what what are the good things about Mailchimp, and what are some of the things people should really understand the limitations of Mailchimp? Do, would you like to um, some thoughts about that? Yeah, I mean, and, and one of them is is being tied to a CRM, and it, like that's where that's why I I like HubSpot, and then some of these some of these other tools where I think even Drip's got some CRM integrations. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want my salespeople to know when people open up emails. So if MailChimp is going to do that for you, then, then that's great. I, I haven't seen a, a really, really tight MailChimp CRM integration with Salesforce uh, and some of the other ones. There are integrations where if you add someone to the list, that will be synced over. And that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is if, if John Locke comes, uh, you know, gives me a shout on the phone and I pull up his record in my CRM, I want to pull up that record in the CRM and just see the 360 degree view of John Locke. And I should be able to see his email opens there and whatever you use. I, I want to see that information there. So when I'm looking for software, one of the first things I do, in fact, I do a lot of consulting with software companies. And what I always find is the first page beyond the home and or about or pricing page, these, Home, about, and pricing are the big pages. And then the next page, as far as traffic goes, is integrations. That's the page that gets some of the most traffic because this is what we care about, right? Is it going to work with the tools I already use? Like, it's not that hard to, to think about, but we don't... Like, once I saw it, I thought, this makes total sense because that's what I do. But if you just ask someone to think what would be the most popular pages, it probably wouldn't come to you. But this is what everybody cares about. Will this work? So... When you're looking at MailChimp, well, what are you using? So does this plug in to my tools? Now, they've made some advances in automation and some more advanced workflows. And um, workflows is just kind of one of those industry terms for um, automated sequences of emails that might go out uh, after something happens, right? And I don't even know what MailChimp calls it. Um, They call it what automation or something along those lines. But there's a lot of words for it in the industry. Uh, MailChimp for a long time was really good at email newsletters and one-time sends. So it could do roundups of your blog posts and then you could send out an email or schedule an email to get sent out. And then the segmentation isn't really uh, incredibly strong in MailChimp because of some of the things you have to do. But now they've added this automation layer and I think they're going to get stronger and stronger there. Um, So I think it's one to watch and but I watch more of the integrations and I see what happens there. I think they're ripe for an acquisition by uh, like Salesforce or something like that. Salesforce is buying everybody, man. All right, there you go. Um, I think we're going to wrap up the actual pod part, podcast part of the show, folks. Um, but we're going to continue. Uh, hopefully, Chris has got a little spare moment. And we continue the conversation, which you'll be able to find on the website. 
um, for about 10, 15 minutes and we delve a bit more. Um, um, like I say, um, we do a Saturday um, show as well where we have a WordPress roundtable. That starts at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. you find that on the WP Tonic website. You can watch it live. Chris, thank you so much for giving us yeah. some insights. How can people get hold of you, Chris, and learn more about the, all the great stuff that we've discussed during the podcast? So you can find me on Twitter at HandyThinks. Um, I've, I've been doing a lot of blogging on my personal website at HandyThinks.com. Uh, I know you have, Chris. I'll be reading some of it. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, so I, I've just really kind of broken out of the mold of having to blog about inbound marketing when I put up my personal website and just I can talk about whatever I want there. So if you really want to know what I'm thinking, you can head there, handythinks.com. And John, how can people get hold of you, John? They can find me at my website, which is lockdowndesign.com. And you can find me on Twitter, lockdown underscore. How do people find you, Jonathan? Oh, well, they go to the WP Tonic website. I've got, um, I did publish um, a couple of weeks ago a 4,000 word article um, about how to turn your WordPress website from a slow thing to a speed cheater. Um, that seemed quite popular. So have a read of that, folks. Um, and um, either you can Twitter me at Jonathan Denwood. I, I'm always around, when, always checking my Twitter few times a day so that's the best thing so thanks folks um it's been a great uh, chris will hopefully continue for a while and um like i say you'll find that on the website so go to the website read the show notes and listen a bit more to this really fascinating conversation we'll be back on saturday folks bye (laughs) 